0: Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We're going to go right into quarter two state of the market. We titled this Inflation, Rates, and Performance. Or actually, I think Dan actually titled that. It's not really a punchy title. It's kind of. I mean, right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you get
1: what you pay for. Nothing I, Nothing I, I, is I don't riveting think the masses like. glasses are going to be flooding in to. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do they call it? Like, what's the kind of the the, the fake headlines that people use just to try Like clickbait. It, the, like there, there's no, like the, the clickbait level on this is like negative. Yeah.
0: It's very low.
1: <laughs> the markets take a hit. You won't believe what happened next. Exactly. There you go. Oh, there you go. Right. right. See? It, or it could have been that, but
0: no. Well, we also have compliance restrictions in this, uh, in these That's four true. walls. So, you know. That's true. I am the chief compliance officer. I don't know. You got to you got to be a little careful about how punchy you get that's these true. days. That is true. Yeah, um, yeah. Anything with guaranteed in it struck
2: immediately. So um,
1: you, we didn't even say that. you didn't even just say that. That's true. That's true.
2: Nope. I was up uh, north this weekend and I was listening to the radio and there's this re- commercial I heard on like repeat about uh, a financial firm of some kind that just constantly was referring to performance as a as their differentiator. I'm like, whoa.
0: So a couple different things. I mean, it could be a non-registered entity, uh, which more insurance related, um, or they probably give substantial uh, performance disclosures at the end. What sort of, do they spend like 10 seconds going through performance disclosures? I don't remember any disclosures. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Yeah. It's the wild west up north though. I would call that a uh, financial advisor in big quotes. Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, hopefully... Hopefully there's a regulator out there that catches wind of that one. And right. uh, where, where was that in Wisconsin that you were listening oh,
2: to? Oh, uh, I was in the Park Falls area, but I, I don't even know where that radio
1: station was out of, to be honest. Wow. Park Falls is one of those cities where people say it. And Eagle I, River? I, I have I no know. idea where it is. Oh. Well, well, Eagle River is beautiful. Right. So no, Park see, Falls right. is by Eagle River? See, I don't I mean. think so. I don't oh, oh, I don't right, really right know my right, Wisconsin right. geography up there. Just throw out
0: Ryan Lander. You're good? Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, today we're going to go through some state of the market. We did... Also, do another um, one of these yesterday as a webcast. So, however, you want to consume this medium, uh, we'll put up some of the charts. Uh, The webcast has us flowing through the charts a little bit more. This is going to be a combination of audio and video. Um, And so, you know, we'll do a good job kind of describing the charts if you are on the road uh, right now as well. Uh, Just disclosure up front here we're going to talk about some uh, variety of different uh, topics here. We're not giving any investment advice here. This is for illustrative purposes, past performances, not indicative of future results, all of, all of that good stuff. But just primarily, we're going to talk about things. And what we're just saying is don't act on any of this advice. Meet with a qualified professional or ourselves to, you know, uh, ascertain how this impacts your own situation. So please uh, be careful in that. So um, today we're going to start first and foremost with kind of breaking down uh, what's gone over, gone through the markets uh, year to date. And uh, so far, I mean, I mean, everybody knows this, but the stock market is down this year. Uh, we touched uh, between June and July here, we touched the official uh, start of a bear market. So, you know, the SP 500 was down uh, over 20%. Uh, and so that's a correction is 10%. We hit that uh, pretty early in the year. And then we, we hit the bear market uh, territory. And since then, it's bounced up a little bit from there. But um, you know, if, if I had to, you know, kind of sit down with you, Nate, and I said, Hey, you just woke up from your from your six month nap. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that Russia has invaded Ukraine, inflation's at the highest numbers in in over 40 years. Um, you know, we have slowing earnings, and a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, and not much is getting done uh, politically right now. You know, where would you say the markets are down year to date, if
1: you had to guess? I think I think twenty would probably be the number that would come to your head, you know, somewhere somewhere, and that might even be light, honestly, um, because it would it would uh, I I, w- I would want a little bit more information on that inflation number because if that would be the one for me, that would be really kind of scary in terms of of what it might do to the markets. Somebody could have told me down thirty, and I would have said, yeah, I can I I can believe that. Now, if you said <laughs>
0: down. What was it? 9.1 yesterday was the inflation print yesterday. The nine,
1: yeah. Inflation yesterday, um, nine, one, uh, here in mid July. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a scary figure. I mean, we all know inflation's getting bad, but that's, that's one where you're like, Whoa, boy, you start, you start, you know, knocking on the door, double digits. And that gets, you know, that gets pretty scary. So you might say that, you know, Hey, 20%
0: might be very reasonable for the stock market to be down.
1: Yeah, I think that. Well, I, I said I think another way to say it is is anybody anybody that that um, and this isn't saying that people shouldn't be frustrated about the state of the market because anytime the market loses and people see the values of their assets go down, they get frustrated, and that's understandable. But anybody that that's kind of quabbling with the fact that the market's down this much, I mean, I, this is what happens. I mean, you can't you can't have this amount of bad news and not have the markets react. The way they have and and i'm i'm somewhat surprised that they've held up as well as they have because again this this could have easily been 25 or 30 percent down and you still would have looked at that and said okay that seems reasonable
0: and we still might get there and we could get there so you know i i don't think that that's out of the realm of possibilities to get there and that doesn't mean that somebody should just go and pull all their money out to cash just kind of expecting that i mean some of the damage has already been done um you know I, i don't even think that's the big story here you know, I, I think that this is, you look at that and you say, well, that's reasonable given the time and the uncertainty. When the uncertainty evaporates um, and, and, and things look a little bit better, you'll see the market recover. It's it's actually fairly simple here. It's it's not a a COVID situation. It's not a 2008 situation, in my opinion. It's, it's a, a pretty, I wouldn't call it a garden variety recession because every recession is a bit different. And as we're looking at you know, are we entering a recession? Um, we're certainly in a bear market of stocks. We might enter a recession. This seems to me to be fairly normal and and kind of average. So, well, um, I think
1: some of the twos, If you look at the last two, right? Not only, I mean two, in quotes, right? Because in, I think when you look at the COVID ugliness in in March of 2000, when the market dropped the way it did, it sprung back up so quickly that that, that was a little bit. Um, I'm not even sure what you call that necessarily, but if you do include that one and then you include 08, 09, both of those were triggered by, by in some ways, not necessarily economic reasons, right? I mean, you could say the housing market and, and the mortgage meltdown ha- is, is an economic factor. Yes, but it's not as, as kind of fastball down the middle economic wise as others are. And so those two were, were kind of driven and, and had that kind of Uh, taste of uncertainty to them because you just weren't sure what was going to come next. This is a little bit more, I mean, inflation driven and, um, you know, kind of over overheating, if you will, of the of the um, employment market so that wages have to go up. I mean, this this is more kind of this is what economists study every day. They don't study housing markets falling apart and, you know, pandemics. So this doesn't seem to have that uncertain feel to it that other other ones have had. So if uncertainty was a taste, what would it be? If uncertainty was a taste, it would be, for me, it would be um, like, like black jelly beans. That's what it would be. Yeah, for sure. Because it would be like, okay, I am I, I, I can eat these. This is okay. I, but I don't know what my mouth's going to feel like if I have 10 of these, you know, because it almost has that like numbing characteristic to it. Almost like, you know, sometimes like if you eat like too much celery, like your mouth almost gets like numb and you're like, what is happening? So, you know, you're just not sure what, what, if you ate a whole bag of black jelly beans, I'm not sure what you would feel like afterwards. Whereas if you just ate a, like a variety pack of mixed colors, you'd be like, okay, I just have, I have a sugar high and that's fine. But like, I don't know how my mouth would feel after like, you know, 25 black jelly beans.
0: I mean, I think terrible, but I think the bigger question is, Dan, have you ever eaten that much celery to have your mouth feel that way? I was going to ask
1: Nate what kind of celery he's eating. Yeah, I don't have that like, I, yeah, <laughs> I'll plow through like two stalks of celery and at, at, by the end of it, I'm like, why is something that's, like kind of feels like kind of just sounds like a numbing effect to it. And I believe there's a chemical in it. I'm going to look at this. Wow. Cellulose? I'm looking this up now It's like water and I'm almost positive. Water he eats some kind <laughs> of wild celery. I'm looking celery. at this. <laughs> Just, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you're actually eating I'm wild parsnip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> celery makes. That's mustard. Yeah, there it is. First That's thing that. that comes up, I put in celery makes, and the first thing that comes up, tongue numb. There you go. Jeez. Everybody has learned something today, and you're all welcome. Celery contains, I'm not going to pronounce this right, eugenol? Eugenol? A chemical compound scientist liken to an anesthetic.
0: All right. Wow. Next podcast that we're on, the three of us are on, we're going to eat some celery until we can't feel our face. There you go. Compound All right, uh, is
1: also found in cloves, cinnamon, nutmeg, and ginger. There you go.
0: All right, there you go. There you go. All right, so back to um, a little bit more about what the story really is here. And and the story, in in my view, the story right now is the bond market. So yeah. commonly, I mean, you have a situation where stocks – you know, if they're, if they're going in a downdraft as they are right now, you know, what's going to help you? And we say, oh, it's all diversification and bonds are there to buffer that sort of event. And right now, the bond market is down over 10% for the year um, at, as, the, at, you know, as of right now. And, and that's total return. That's including um, the dividends from the bonds or the, the income from the bonds. So, I mean, what an incredible... Uh, downturn here in bonds. And and you can go through a little bit of the why, Nate. But, um, you know, this is the worst bond market since 18-something-something. So, I mean, we're talking about like forever in our lifetimes. This is the worst bond market. And so, welcome to the historical significance of this moment. But worst bond market ever, you know, so. Right. And, at least and in their lifetimes. no, I think
1: that you're, you're exactly right by saying that even though it's, it's, it's less by way of, you know, just pure numbers, you know, we look in the S and P and where it's at, you know, down 18 ish, depending on the day you look at it in the bond markets, quote, only down 10, but I don't think people understand really what that means. We always like to say, you know, prior to this year, we always like to say that a bad, a really bad bond market was down 5% in a year, right? This is double that in six months. I mean, th- this is, this is, you know, I, I don't want to equate it out to what a stock market loss would be as, as, a, as a comparison because that maybe isn't a fair comparison. But um, as you're saying from a historical standpoint, this is as bad as as literally anybody has, has seen the bond market uh, for the first six months of a year. And I think that's the reason why this is so interesting right now because typically when, when stocks fall, bonds rally. And some of that has to do with the fact that... Um, Money flows in and out of investments. But for the most part, there, there's you kind know, of the majority of money that's, in quote, invested stays invested during periods of time. It just flows to different styles of investments, right? And so when stocks fall, money flows out of stocks and tends to flow into fixed income or into bonds, which is why bonds rally and, and they do better. This is a very unique time where you have the stock market hit, getting hit the way it is and the bond market getting hit as hard as it is. This is a very unique period of time right now.
0: And it is, and it's mostly due to the interest rates uh, increasing. It's not credit related, it's interest rate related. Um, We're not seeing a lot of defaults yet. Right. So it's not a default-driven, it's not a credit-driven, right? Sort of decrease from the bond market. You're not seeing a bunch of uh, companies going under right now. In fact, companies are, are fairly healthy right now, as uh, opposed to 0, 0809. Exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. That, that was like that a, was credit-driven. A, it was credit-driven. It was yeah. a big kind of credit freeze in there. Yeah. Um. You know, they had we had some major failures. More most of the failures so far that we've seen. And this is early, probably. You know, we're not in a recession yet. Uh, so it's too early to ascertain where we're at right now, but, um, you know, you're starting to see some employers pause their hiring or, or lay off some people, but we're not seeing, um, you know, major companies going under, except for in the crypto uh, community. And that's, that's been, uh, that's been pretty rough, but uh, we won't get into crypto right now. Uh, I don't want to talk about my Voyager um, investments at all right now. So, um, you yeah, know, I, I happens to be going bankrupt right now. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, if we go back and talk about the five-year stock and bond markets right now, again the story is is interesting because, you know, if you again and I, and I go back to the you know kind of if you just woke up after five years, you know, you had almost a seventy-five percent total return uh, gain in the S and P 500 over this time
1: in the last five years, in the f- including five years. the start of this year,
0: including all of this, yes. you know, up to right. this point. So the problem is, is that if you look at the chart, you know, it's like, it, go- it goes up and then it comes back down. So you remember always your, your top moment. And I, I just remember this too. It was like, you know, there's a couple moments where I, I remember looking at my balances and I'm s- so happy. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're down way from that high and you're like, Oh man, but you have to realize that, Hey, you know, the last five years have been pretty good in the markets. And having that sort of rate of return is, is quite good. Now, the volatility in that, there have been a few pretty major spikes of volatility. And this is one of them as well. So we'll see whether this continues to, to trend back down. But overall, the last five years have been pretty solid in the US stock market. Um, in the bond markets, almost all of your rate of return, though, has been sucked away by this thing. And this is, again, why this is such an extreme environment for bonds. You only made 4.35% um, in our time frame over the last five years. I mean, that's like a CD-type rate of return. Total. The risk you're taking. Total. That's a total return. That's incredibly low. Yeah. So, you know, we I, I do expect that over time we'll start to see the bond market normalize. And, and there's actually some good that comes out of... Um, having higher interest rates as well. Uh, But right now, it's really sucked out the rate of return there. And if we talk a little bit more about international stocks and and small caps, um, you know, U.S. stocks, again, around that 75% range, small caps have lagged over the last five years. Uh, Some of that's due to the downdraft of the recent uh, history, but also small caps just haven't done as well as large caps. And, uh, you know, more, more up about 44%. And then, the same old story we've s- seemingly talked about, I don't know, Nate, for like 10 years, man. It's been so long that international stocks just seem stuck in reverse. Um, they're up about 16% for um, emerging markets and, and even less in the, uh, in the EFA stocks, which are kind of the developing markets. They're down, they're up only about 12 and a half. So, I mean, they are just, if you want to look at maybe saying, hey, I, I, I'm looking where the value is here. You know, maybe so we, have, we have value in international stocks. But I feel like we say this every year. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that. Like, oh, man. It, it, you're
1: right that there is, I mean, it, it, it does look like there's a, you know, screaming amount of value there. But, okay, after, after 10 years, like at some point you have to look at it and go, well, right. But if it never pans out, then is there actually value there, right? I mean, value is, is simply defined as is something that is, you know, kind of Priced below the, the 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 kind of normal price that it should be at. I don't know what the normal price of the the developed, uh, um, you know, XUS markets and even the the emerging uh, markets should be right now. Because for the last ten years, it feels like they're underpriced. But maybe that's just maybe they are fairly priced, and that's just the normal where you know where we're at right now. Um, and we talked a little bit about this in the in the webcast that that we recorded. You know, which you can find and 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 view, shameless plug for Dan's, you know, tracking numbers. So um, but I, I think that, that Europe has almost been a little bit of a victim of of a lagging recovery out of 08-09, lagging our recovery, even ours was slow and kind of dogged. Theirs was even worse, right? It it just, just didn't seem to kind of get where it needed to go, right? And then just when it started to kind of get itself squared away, you know, then COVID hit. Right. And so I think the European markets, especially but but international and, and um, emerging in general, uh, they, they've just they've fallen victim to a lost decade uh, that the US uh, markets have not necessarily become victim to we, we, we felt those uglinesses that they felt but we we, we had our recovery years in the middle that built our cumulative rates of return up that they didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so they just kind of went, you know, bad, and then flat and then bad again.
0: And there's, there's a bunch of different factors as to why that is, and we can get that into that maybe in, in another podcast. But, um, you know, one of the other things, too, is currency conversion. The dollar's been very strong, and that mm-hmm. is usually negative for international stocks. So, you know, you're not getting that sort of extra juice that you can get. So if the dollar does weaken, perhaps we have more value there. And so that's why, you know, you, you have the ability to hedge that out. We generally don't because it does move in ebbs and flows, and sometimes that can be... Um, that can be accretive to rates of return. And so we'd like to keep that in sometimes to, to be able to give a little extra boost for the portfolios.
1: Yeah. Another shameless plug, uh, Sel and I did a podcast on currencies, if that's something you're interested in. Uh, and, and we kind of toyed with the idea of, you know, is, is the, the recent, um, you know, strengthening and, and incredible strengthening of the dollar an indication of, of, how good the dollar is? Or is it an indication of how bad the other currencies are that get compared to the dollar? I mean, it's an interesting, like, you know, kind of chicken into the egg thing, but it is it is an interesting uh, way to look at it. Is it a is it a you know, story about how, how good the dollar is? Or is it simply the, the dollar is good, because everything else is so bad that when you compare it to that, it's going to look good, right? I, I, I don't we're not sure what the answer is. But we kind of we went through and unpacked that idea a little bit. Maybe I'll have to check out your podcast. Mm, you should get it again. Dan will be happy with the, the numbers of that. That's
0: true. Um, if we go into kind of treasuries and mortgages right now, too, uh, you know, when we talk about big stories of the first half of the year, um, clearly big story has really been the rise in uh, mortgage rates. So obviously the Fed hikes uh, and the Fed when the Fed hikes, it's a short term rate. So it, it's not having a direct impact on the ten-year. Now it, it can have an impact somewhat on the ten-year treasury in that they they somewhat move together, but um, not they don't have as tight a correlation as say like a, a you know a ninety-day treasury or a two-year treasury or something like that. You know it's it's one of those situations where the reverberations of the policy and the inflation rate have created this. Uh, extreme increase in mortgage rates so i know you have just personal history in this nate because you got a mortgage this year and uh you know you saw rates have been all over the place we've had a couple people in our office buy homes and it's been a totally different scenario between the beginning of the year and the end of the year here or the middle of the year
1: yeah and just so people have a better understanding of how this works so that they they feel a little bit more informed and, and potentially can um um, kind of plan better from themselves if they are looking to get a mortgage here in the in the somewhat near future. Uh, mortgage rates are, are typically pegged off of the 10-year treasury. So that's the 10-year treasury bond. Um, and that's what they tend to be priced, what we call priced off of, right? So what that means is, is mortgage companies, banks and credit unions use the 10-year treasury as kind of their mark to be able to, to um, kind of price their products. But what's interesting about it is that not every mortgage is priced the same, right? So just because it's a 30 year fixed mortgage doesn't mean that every bank and credit union is going to offer that rate, or excuse me, that product at the same rate. So and the reason why is because they they still will control their own flow of business and they can kind of turn up that faucet and or turn off that faucet if they want to. But beginning of, the, of this year, 30 year fixed was at 3%. I and mean, you could pretty much find that maybe not everywhere. But I mean, you, you could look a little bit and you could find a 30 year fixed at 3%. As of right now, this morning, in a local credit union, we're at five six two five, and it was over six percent um, within the last thirty days. It's a hundred percent jump in the thirty-year fixed rate in like five months. That that, that is, I, I don't know well enough, but I don't know if that's ever happened before. I don't know that, if that it has either. Moved that quickly. That is an unbelievable move, and and ultimately, what it means is that it's going to have a, 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 a slowing effect on the housing market, and it has to. And the reason why is because if somebody was pre-approved in January or February for a $500,000 house, for example, and I just saw, uh, I think the average home price now in the United States, the average home price I think is four hundred grand. I think is what is what they said now, which is the first time that it's gone over 400000 so, anyways, let's say that somebody's pre-approved five hundred thousand. Well, they might not be pre-approved for five hundred thousand dollars anymore because if you were pre-approved at five hundred thousand with a payment based on a on a three percent mortgage, and now it's between five and a half and six, you might not be able to afford five hundred thousand anymore. You might only be able to afford four hundred or four fifty. And so, this has to have a negative effect on the housing market. Um, and, and I understand my friends and, the, and our friends in the mortgage and the, the real estate industry and, and their their thoughts on inventory. And I agree with them that inventory is still a problem. But inventory is only a problem when demand runs at a constant level. Well, if demand slows down, you don't have as much of an inventory problem anymore. And so we'll see whether or not the mortgage rates and the increases in that side and potential future increases, because the Fed's already told us that, that it sounds very, very likely that they're going to bump another 75 basis points at the end of this month. That could bump the 10-year even that much more. We could see even higher mortgage rates pushing even f- more people out of the either the price range that they were in or potentially out of the housing market just in general. So we'll see. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think the, the housing market tends to run different than the stock market. It the, the, the downturns in the housing market tend to start as small cracks that turn into bigger cracks that turn into, you know, very, very problematic cracks. Uh, we'll see if this is, this is how this goes this year.
0: Yeah, and you're going to see whether or not somebody can tolerate that mortgage payment in their, in their budget. And once we start to see job cuts and things like that, that will also have a cooling effect in the housing market. And so that's a great transition talking about inflation a bit because, you know, inflation generally in the housing market, inflation is, is not a bad thing because you have this real asset there. That's keeping pace with inflation uh, in many cases, uh, but that might not be the case coming up here soon yeah, because you're right. going to start to see probably this, this housing uh, slowdown, down and, and values are probably going to come down or at least hold for a little while. In my opinion, I think that's what's going to end up happening as you start to see a little flattening in the valuations in some of these, despite the fact that we have high inflation and that will, in turn, by the way, a cooling in the housing market actually cools off inflation. So it will it will be less impactful in our inflation right. number because right. that shows up in the inflation number. So we right. think about, you know, what are good things and what are bad things. And some good things actually show up in the inflation numbers. Uh, people want to see their houses go up in value uh, for the most part, unless they're paying property taxes and on a fixed income. Uh, but, you know, overall, though, it's, it's generally a positive when your home value goes up. And then your debt costs actually, as a as a percentage, really uh, kind of go down it, when things inflate. Uh, if you're stuck in a thirty-year fixed mortgage, stuck yep. in a good parlance, uh, you know, then there's a situation where you're probably not likely to move, but you're also uh, keeping that same payment at that same low rate. So right now, when the inflation rate is nine point one percent, you're paying three percent on your, uh, you know, thirty-year fixed mortgage. You're you're a happy camper.
1: I mean, so right, and 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 that's a good. I mean, just that small um, kind of comparison or, or illustration is 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 a, a pretty clear indication why we're in kind of a, a an atypical time right now, right? I mean, you you you, you know, they always talk about you know irregular irregularities within the markets and, and just in, within economics in general. And I mean, that we're we're there now, right? <laughs> when you have a nine one inflation rate and you have a three percent mortgage rate, I mean, obviously, you know, that's gonna it's going to move to correct itself and that's what we're seeing right now
0: correct yeah i mean we've had historically low interest rates for a really long time it was time for the interest rates to kind of come back up and um, you know you, you won't be able to, if you're driving or whatever you won't be able to see this chart but it's a great chart showing inflation versus federal funds rate and in general all the way up through just about the early 2000s the federal funds rate So that's that short-term discount rate that we've talked about when they talk about, you know, what's the Fed going to do? They can raise rates. That was over the inflation rate just about every single year for all those years from 19, you know, I think this was, I'm looking at the chart. I think it's, let's call it 1970 all the way up to, you know, 2000, mm, I'm guessing, but about 2002, and then the federal funds rate actually dropped below the inflation rate for a little bit. And then they brought it back up. And then in after 2008, the federal funds rate dropped to basically zero, right? For a really, really long time. And then they were raising the federal funds rate again, uh, starting right around 2016. They started to raise that again. And it started to come really close. The federal funds rate and the inflation rates were really close together, very closely tied. And then COVID hit. And mm-hmm. that blew up everything because what was happening is they were trying to engineer a soft landing. Inflation was coming up a little bit during this time and they were actually approaching that that target. The, the Fed wants a target of 2%. Now it's kind of like the stock market. You look at the target and you're like, oh, how many times did they actually hit 2%? Never. Never, yeah. like almost never, right? right. So And you know, can hold it there. And, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They want right. full employment and around 2% inflation. Well, it doesn't quite happen that way. So, you know- they they're trying to do some engineering and trying to get that inflation rate actually up and they were raising interest rates and everything was actually looking pretty good there. So if you want to tell a good story about Jerome Powell's term, you could say that, you know, there up until COVID, it looked like it was being managed quite well, actually, yeah. at the time. Right. And then it fell apart because, you know, we had all kinds of direct payments getting made to people, which wasn't a bad thing. PPP loans, all of that um, to keep businesses afloat during covid and that kind of stoked this inflationary pressure. And right now, there's a massive disconnect between our inflation rate and our federal funds rate. And so the problem with that is, if we're going to get serious about tamping down inflation, arguably, our rates have to get significantly higher at the federal funds rate. And that has all kinds of different ramifications. And it, we'll go into this in a second, but it inverts the yield curve. It does. There's a lot of things that, potentially could bring on recession. So right now we have a really weird situation. And that is that we have pretty good demand yet. And demand might be waning a little bit, but we also have a supply chain issue as well with many things because COVID really disrupted the supply chains. So they haven't repaired themselves yet. So we have a we have a demand that's pretty good and a supply that's that's not very good right now. Now, you know, how does this how does this fix itself? Well, demand will likely come down um, yeah. Supply will likely come back up after these supply chain issues are solved or they're you know they heal themselves they'll, they'll kind of be self-healing but it will take time first of all so this thing isn't going to happen overnight when all of a sudden the inflation rates going to be two again um, and then secondarily um, you know if demand cools off what does that mean
1: recession likely so yeah you know, I, I guess the, the analogy that I could try to come up with on that in terms of where we're at inflation and the position that the fed is in right now you know the the fed is is trying to put out a massive house fire right now and you you while the house is on fire you don't worry about the fact that you're pouring a bunch of water into a home which can be very damaging obviously right you just got to put the fire out right And some point when the fire is out you're gonna and then have to worry about the fact that you know your studs in the interior of your home is all full of water but you got to put the fire out. And that's that's your point that you're making, which is, I think, exactly right. The Fed's just trying to put out the fire right now. And that means they're going to bump rates and likely continue to bump rates until that happens. But they know that there's a negative after effect of doing that. But they can't worry about that after effect right now. You don't worry about your studs getting wet in your home while your house is still on fire. You get the fire out and then you worry about that later. But you are right. The worry about that later is probably going to be recession, it's probably going to be inverted yield curve. It's probably, you know, it's these things that happen as a result. But just as the Fed had no choice, the federal government had no choice during the ugliness of COVID, but to do things like PPP loans and things like that, because that's where the economy was on fire at that time, and you had to put out that fire. So they had to do that. But in a weird way, like the after effect of that was, inflationary pressures that we're seeing right now. And, and, you know, and so now now they have to fight that problem and then there'll be effect of that. So the feds in a little bit of a, of a boxing match and, and they're just, they're trying to hold on right now, but they're getting hit pretty hard and there's just not a lot they can do about it.
0: Well, and if you look at all the fed minutes too, they finally kind of said, Hey, this inflation is no longer transitory and they were admitting that they were kind of wrong. Right. Yellen did and and Powell has to a lesser extent, but um, you know, they were saying, Hey, we, we really didn't think this was gonna be as persistent as we thought and they right. finally admitted that in February. Right. Which is so late because right. you could see that inflation was around during that time, but they, they really took a long time to acknowledge that and now we'll see what they end up doing and whether they overcorrect, right. which commonly in the past you've you've seen the Fed do, but again it's that that fire analogy. I think it's a great analogy too. You know, sometimes you, you can look at it in the past and go, Well, you shouldn't have gone that far. You're like, Yeah, but if you didn't go that far and inflation stays persistently right. high for a really long time, it can get away from you. And you know, inflation is one of the single mandates that the Fed has. It right. has a, just a couple, and so they're going to try to deal with that. Because what they've basically said in these Fed mandates is that there are a couple things that can really mess up an economy, and, and one of those is inflation. And so if you see other countries where things have really gotten away from them, generally their, their currency is unstable and they have really high inflation and those are kind of together. But so the U S takes that very seriously. So, you know, if we're sounding a little dire or dour, I mean, it's not that we're not going to get out of this, you know, relatively quickly, but it's going to take a little bit of time, you know? Right. So, uh, you know, we all have to have some patience, especially in our investments. And, you know, I do want to hit on one last thing here and that is the yield curve inversion. Nate, I mean, just going through that, basically, the the two year rate of the treasury and the ten year rate of the treasury is one indicator that we look at, um, and when the two year rate is higher than the ten year rate, that's a total aberration. Does not happen very often at all, right. and when it does happen, it signals it's a it's a big flashing yellow light at us because it doesn't always mean bad things, but just most of the time. So it's and just to kind of back what, to what we saying. said before.
1: It, it's it's an irregularity within economics. And generally, when we have irregularities, it means something is 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 underway, right? And that's, I think, to your point of, as it's 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 a pretty glaring irregularity. Yeah, and if I were to lend you money for two years versus ten years, I would expect
0: that you would charge me more interest over ten years. Um, that would be a, a very normal thing versus two years versus two years, right. but. In this case, that's that's not the case, and so what it's saying is that there's a lot of economic uncertainty right now. The Fed is moving aggressively, and the two-year rate is actually over the ten. Um, so that's that's why you know we believe that keeping duration short right now is is a prudent decision. Um, however, there will be a time in there where we would advocate adding duration, and we'll have to see how this all shakes out. I mean, will the longer end of the curve start to perk up and have a more normal curve? So you know, normally you see this nice curve from the two year to the 10 year to the 30 year, the 30 is higher than the two. And, you know, you have that sort of thing, but for right now it's all sort of jumbled up and that's due to how much uncertainty we have. So what what that is basically telling us is 10 years, we're not that worried about this stuff, but two years, eh, we're pretty worried about this stuff. So, right. you know, that's, that's a, a signal to us that we have some recessionary pressures. Oftentimes this yield curve inversion shows us that we're going to have a recession coming up. Uh, Is that possible? You know, I I think we both are in the same camp here, Nate. It's likely we will see a recession. That does not mean that you should just move all your stocks to cash or something like that or wait it all out. You've already, you know, withstood some losses in all likelihood, and you are in a situation where, you know, you're probably in some of the worst stuff right now. If the market goes down 10 or 15%, you know, hey, you just continue to rebalance, uh, you'll get through it when the recession is probably in its depths and just getting better is when the market will likely, you know, kind of catch fire and, and start to do well. So trying to time these things is so impossible. So we just recommend, look, just be careful, you know, before you're making any big rash economic decisions and pulling out of things and, and you know, doing things more tactically. Oftentimes buy and hold is more prudent through this, even though it's it can be more painful than a situation. It's really easy to hit the sell button right now market goes down five or 10% and you're like, boy, I'm a genius. And then you got to get back in and they all the emotion that's involved in that. And the worse you feel, um, you know, what are you going to do when you're, when you're down like 30% or 35 or, or even 40% in an extreme market environment? Are you going to be willing to put more money in stocks when the sky is totally falling? And the answer to that is probably not.
1: Right. Yeah. That, that's why that doesn't work. Because as we've always said, you know, you, the market timing requires that you have to get it right multiple times for, for one move to work. You have to sell at the right time. You have to rebuy at the right time. It's, it's just a very, it, it, it sound, it's one of those things that sounds good when you say it out loud. And then when you actually have to do it in practice, it, it's almost impossible to do. Um, and the, the last comment that I'll make on it that I think people need to, as hard as it is to try to keep in mind and keep in perspective is, Recessions are normal. Downturns are normal in the stock market. These are not atypical times. Yes, the characteristics of them can are, you know, create atypical scenarios and, and kind of scenarios that don't make sense, but they are normal courses within a, a you know long period of time in the market. It will go through ebbs. It will go through flows. This is what happens within economies. And frankly, if these things didn't happen, you'd have more problems – than the fact that when they do happen, i.e. if the 0809 did not happen, we would not know who Bernie Madoff is. We know who Bernie Madoff is because 0809 happened. And so when we have downturns, it's the market's way of kind of self-correcting and shaking off some of the, the ugliness and getting back to a more kind of stable spot. And then it grows then from there and then it does it again and it does it again and it does it again and this is what happens so try to bear in mind that this is not out of the ordinary this is ordinary this is normal and so you know when you when you think about that it's not doesn't it make you feel better about it and we're not saying you know be happy about downturns but what we are saying is don't look at it and say oh my God, this is so much different. It's not really, it's it's the same cycle that the market tends to follow if we look at historical uh, periods of time, especially if you stretch it out to 20, 30, 40 years of, of historical averages within the market.
0: Well, and my final point will be that if we didn't have this amount of volatility and these things that you are indicating, we wouldn't get the rates of return in stocks right, that exactly. we we're accustomed to over long periods of time. So, you know, if it was so stable and mm-hmm. you wouldn't lose... What would you get three or 4% rate of return annualized? So if you want nine, 10, 11%, you got to take the risk to do it. And so this is, these are these times where it feels risky. And I will tell you what, when, when your stocks have sold off 20%, your portfolio actually, in most cases has less risk. Your portfolio had way more risk 12 months ago when it was at its peak, right? right? So, you know, you have to put some of this into context. The last five years have been really good. Um, You're never going to sell at your high point, just Just take a look at the long-term lens. Just be careful about it. If we go into recession, that's okay. Um, And, you know, meet with somebody, go through your financial plan. Now's a great time to look at that and go, is my financial plan still looking really good? Despite the fact we've had this downturn. And if the answer is yes, great. And if the answer is no, then, okay, well, let's figure out how to shore that up. And also, you know, check your 401k contributions. All those little things to make sure that you're maximizing all the different areas when we go through these downturns. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to send us a message and uh, we'll be back at you soon with another episode of give me some truth.
2: Walker Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walker Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening. And for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.